Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Cafe Bitcoin on this five, fine Thursday morning. We've got Tomer, Jacob, Hurley here. Good morning, guys. How y'all doing? Tomer, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you? Doing fine. Good, good. Hurley, morning, guys. Morning, John. Good. How you guys doing? Just sipping some bone broth here, chilling out. We've got 50% Americans, 50% Canadians as speakers right now, guys. This is a very balanced panel. I was also speaking of Canadians. I was listening to uh, this is totally random, but um, the podcast Forward Guidance with Jack Farley does a pretty good job on macro topics. He had a guy on um, who kind of came up with the idea of looking at the curve inversion of the three month, ten year uh, Treasury curve as a recession indicator. He's a Canadian as well, um, but that was a pretty interesting story. I would recommend that for anyone who's looking to learn more about that. Good morning to Terrence. Now we are overweight Americans as speakers. Good to see. USA, baby. USA. And you should be at a 10 to 1 ratio. So we're punching <laughs> above our weight proportion. We got, we got Tucker Carlson in Canada on a liberation tour. So uh, that, that must count for something. <laughs> I, I haven't been following that closely, but I have seen some uh, just tweets and little clips of him speaking. Where some of that was in at a can some sort of uh, conference in Canada. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm actually, I saw a tweet uh, that he was. Uh, go ahead, Harley. I was just going to say I'm not sure about the details on it. I, I'm the same as you, John. I've just seen some clips, some funny, funny clips of him kind of blasting the media and the and uh, our our dear leaders. But uh, yeah, I have no idea what the actual context of what why he's here, where he's speaking, but. Gotcha. Yeah, I I just have kind of seen the the headlines and a few clips. Um, Tomer, were you going to chime in with something? No, I, I, I saw one tweet that said that in, in Alberta, which is a hugely popular, presumably Calgary, which is a, a city, but not like a huge, huge city. He had sold out an arena of 8,000 people to come see him. So that's, that's pretty reasonably good. I mean, I'm sure Taylor Swift attracts more people when she comes, but different demographic and different quantity. So quite impressive turnout. Yes, yes. Taylor Swift, Beyonce, those, those people of the world probably fill a stadium better, better than anyone. But uh, that's still impressive. Um, well, all right, cool. I'll, I'll just tick through some of the topics that I think we're going to want to cover. But as usual, we'll keep the conversation pretty you know, natural and just see where it goes. But I think the big things on people's minds are uh, Bitwise publishing uh, a Bitcoin address of its holdings. Um, I believe they are the, the first and only one to do that so far. 
Uh, we've had some fun with people sending small amounts of Bitcoin to the address uh, to make it over collateralized. Um, we, we also have uh, Craig Wright settlement offer, which we could chat about. Um, we've got the BTFP. The Fed actually made an announcement that the program will not be renewed. It'll say open until middle of March, um, but will not be renewed. There's probably a good amount of stuff to go in there. And uh, one of Bitcoin's favorite whipping boys, Peter Schiff, is uh, still out there grinding against Bitcoin, sending out tweets saying Bitcoin has no value, artificially limited supply, blah, blah, blah. So we can chat about that, too. Um, maybe we'll start there with that, that Peter Schiff. Actually, you know where we are going to start is we're going to start with Dom Bay because this man has a new uh twitter profile i'm not calling it x i'm calling it twitter he has a new twitter profile picture so dom good morning to you what caused you to change the photo just identity crisis you know and it's like i just got tired of looking at the tux so um yeah shift interesting shift is still hammering on bitcoin you, if it wasn't for pirates of the caribbean most young people would have no idea what gold is they, they would have no concept of its use history, but, you know, Schiff's holding on. We know he has a stack. He'll never admit it publicly. <laughs> um, yeah, I be, and it is, it actually does, I think, relate well to the fact that there is a Bitcoin ETF manager that is publishing an address. Um, and maybe we can get into some of the fact that, you know, they published kind of an older format and an address. There's been some uh, blowback and commentary on that as well. But the, the Peter Schiff comments are interesting to me because um, that it's, it's coming at the same time as the fact that an ETF manager, an ETF truck, whatever you want to call it, a Bitcoin ETF um, is publishing an address that says, hey, this is publicly verifiable. This is how much Bitcoin we have in it. And then people are sending, you know, funny amounts in it, 6969 SATs, 426.9 SATs. And then random people can just set up uh, the wallet to watch only and can see when uh, funds get sent into it. And kind of the elephant in the room for Peter Schiff is none of that is possible with an asset like gold. I mean, you cannot physically verify how much gold is in the GLD ETF. Um, you can't just send a very tiny amount of physical gold into the ETF for fun. And say, oh look, there it is. It landed. There's my physical gold, and and that I sent. Here's the proof that I sent it. Um, none of that is possible, but that seems to be very lost on uh, Peter Schiff. And uh, we can get into some other stuff because he, I, I think he's still stuck in this idea that gold. Yes, gold had a real world use case. You know, whatever industrial use, jewelry use, and he's kind of stuck with the fact that a money has to have that. It, it is true that gold had that before it became money, but that it doesn't follow logically that all monies going forward must have that same type of real world right. use case. And it's right. just, I mean, the value of gold, pe people are not using gold as a monetary asset saying, hey, if, if this doesn't work out, I can you know, turn this into an earring. I, I think it's just <laughs> very silly to, to think that way. You know, I, I think there's a bunch of different things here. I like the fact that you're combining these two stories together because... Um, look, the purpose of money 
is not to be turned into an earring at some point in time. It, the, the purpose of money is to be exchanged for other goods. It's the only good you don't consume. Right? You, you don't use it. You spend it. You exchange it. Rather, you, and you never use it. There's like To use it is to give it to somebody else who can then use it again. So m- money is not something that is consumed. It's something that is exchanged. And so you want this thing to be useful for exchange. And part of just a very thin sliver of what you pointed out with the ETF publishing its address is the auditability of the exchange of this particular good, Bitcoin, is unprecedented. Like literally anyone in the world, if you share a public, if you share an address, can see the exact balance in that address. And and as you said, you, they can send funny amount, they can send money to it as well. Uh, but but in in this case, it's like there's certainty that everyone can have that the money is really there. And that's obviously not possible with some commodity locked up in a safe in some location. Even if you put a camera on it, people would say, well, you can doctor the footage, you can change this. But what you can't change because you can verify it for yourself is that there are as many Bitcoins at that Bitwise address as they say there are. And, and, and that there are as many as your node says there is as well, right? Like you can verify it completely and, and they can send as much as they want away. They can send it to anyone. Anyone can see that it's being sent away. So the auditability here, the transparency is what's unprecedented. And no, you can't turn that Bitcoin into an earring, but gold, you know, you can't realistically do that with gold that's locked in the safe anyway. So part of this for me is just like Peter Schiff is, I, th- I think it's almost like comical in, in the sense that he's learned nothing. He hasn't changed his view one iota, um, and he and he repeats the same kinds of things every time there's movement in the Bitcoin price, whether it's up or down. And he's all, if it goes up, he says, get ready, it's going to go down. If it goes down, he says, I told you so. Um, so that's just that's kind of his thing. But he's he's really missing the key point here and what makes it such an advance over gold. And, and that's what I really like about how you've tied this together. It's like here now, all of Wall Street can see that unlike any other ETF, there's a guarantee, there's an assurance and a guarantee that the backing commodity is, pre- is present and held by the ETF. And there's no inefficiency or anything of that nature. Everyone can see it. Um, and that's the most important thing, what address type they used and the people were sending funny amounts. Um, that's kind of also, I mean, it's fun because it educates people as to how this thing is different from it, from anything else. Um, but wow, like the fact that I can actually audit my ETFs, so, you know, holdings without, and without needing to speak to them, without needing to visit their offices, without needing to do anything other than to look at a block explorer on the internet, which I can verify is true. All of those are breakthroughs. They're, they're breakthroughs that nothing else can do. Are, are you guys trying to say that Bitcoin is built for a world that's becoming more digital with expanding digital capabilities and gold is not? Are you trying to say that? You know, I, I think, Dom, the last time you made an Amazon order and you bought five different items from five different sellers, if you had to pay for all those by sending them physical gold, you think that would have been a, a pretty easy task? Dude, who told you about how I order my bathroom supplies? 
<laughs> I mean, it's funny to us, but um, yeah, I, I think some of these examples um, really just highlight how a physical commodity is just so woefully insufficient to be used as uh, a money. Um, and it's, it's obviously being talked about more in the Bitcoin world. Uh, Safedine's done a good job. Lynn Alden's done a good job that it's sometimes people spin the narrative that it was like a grand conspiracy to introduce fiat and remove gold. And like, to some extent that's true because I think the powers that be, you know, wanted that to be the case because they benefit from it. But there's also a side of this where it was just kind of a technological side of things, like almost inevitable that gold couldn't have been used and that we were going to abstract gold away. And then that system you know, could have been full reserve and we could have always moved the gold and settled the gold, but that system is just prone to corruption and prone to inflation. And, and it just human nature is that that's going to happen. So, you know, I, I think as Bitcoiners, we're all aware of this, but um, the ETF announced, Bitwise ETF announcement that, hey, here's the address where you can actually see this um, just kind of, you know, makes it very real for people. Um, I'll just, you know, give one more story that you guys are reminding me of as we talked about this. This is a funny story I saw probably like five or six years ago. There was a guy who tried to make the point, I think he was just trying to prove how, you know, amazing the modern economy is. And he said, I'm going to uh, <laughs> produce a BLT sandwich from scratch, meaning I won't buy any ingredients from anyone. I'm going to do it myself and see how long it takes and um, how much it costs. So, you know, he literally has a, you know, makes a garden in his yard for the lettuce and the tomato, uh, literally has to get a pig and, and butcher the pig for the bacon. Um, and he publishes it and it, you know, it takes months and months and it, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars compared to the BLT. If you walk in the store and it's like, you know, five, six, seven bucks, something like that. Um, and I even remember seeing this story and I, it wasn't even a full comp a complete comparison because the guy, he, there's like a picture of him using tools in the garden, but it's like he didn't even make his own tools. You know, he, he bought the, the tools for the garden. Um, but anyway, I say all that because I, I started with the ridiculous example. Like if Peter Schiff wanted to send a tiny amount of gold into the GLD ETF and see it land, like if we actually said, Peter Schiff, you know, do this and then verify it's there, it would just highlight how ridiculous and impossible that task is. Um, so these are all things we're aware of as Bitcoiners that uh, Bitcoin is suited to be money in a modern telecommunications-based economy. But um, I think some of this stuff with Bitwise publishing the address just makes that more vivid for people. Yeah. Hey, John, I mean, trains coast to coast were pivotal in building the U.S. and you still see them around today. That's just not the direction things are going. And I would bet if you looked at the overall, you know, investment numbers of infrastructure for the future, that that's not where it's going. You know, gold had a good run um, and it still plays a vital role, still has a massive uh, market cap, but that's just not the direction things are headed anymore. For sure. For sure. Maybe one other thing I'll mention, um, Tomer, this is something, you know, you and I worked on not too long ago, but we were comparing just on-chain Bitcoin to gold. And this actually ties into the scaling and the covenants debates that are happening right now. And on the one hand, I want to make it clear, I am not suggesting that, you know, just on-chain Bitcoin is sufficient for 
a monetary system where Bitcoin gets increasingly used by more and more people and entities and institutions. I'm, I'm not saying that. But um, what we arrived at, which was pretty interesting, is that even just on-chain Bitcoin in a world where transaction fees are you know, orders of magnitude more expensive than they are today, but say, say it costs you know, $10,000 to send an on-chain Bitcoin transaction fee, if you compare that to sending, let's say it's you know, $10 million of, of gold versus sending $10 million of Bitcoin, and they both, both cost, you know, call it $50,000 to settle that transaction, doing the on-chain Bitcoin transaction is still infinitely better than doing the transaction in gold in terms of you know, with gold, you have to hire a security team of people. It's going to take days or weeks or longer to send it. Once you've actually sent it, verifying that it was sent and that it's actually gold that was sent is, is kind of a nightmare. You have to trust the team of people to do that properly. Whereas with Bitcoin, if you have the right hardware, software, internet connection, uh, and an hour and the money to pay the on-chain fee um, and an hour for it to you know, settle in, in X number of blocks, then you're good. Um, and those two things are just you know, night and day. So... Then you add lightning on top of that. Then you add federated e-cashments. Then you add covenants and other scaling solutions. And you start to have a, a real shot at a system that could be completely built around Bitcoin. So I, I just share that as a, a note of optimism. Because, and it ties into all these scaling debates as well. And these are going to take years and years to play out. We know that. But um, I just wanted to tie that into the Bitcoin scaling conversation. Yeah, I, I think this is like the, the important things are, are what are you comparing, right? If, if you're comparing on-chain Bitcoin to Visa, you're you're really comparing apples and oranges. But if you're comparing hard money that settles for real, like gold versus Bitcoin, how many people are able to actually transact globally in gold? It's going to be, you know, it. people say only a few million people can use Bitcoin on-chain in, in a short period of time. Well, Millions of people can't use physical gold, can't ship physical gold back and forth. You know, the security required, the timelines required, the equipment required, they're on a different order of magnitude. I'd be surprised if tens of thousands of people were actually able to transact in gold, you know, in, in any significant volume. You'd have, you know, freight ships moving gold back and forth, taking weeks for the, the money to move, costing obviously way more than $10,000 to ship you know, a million dollars or a couple million dollars in gold on a ship, you know, in a container and secure it and prevent it from being stolen. And with Bitcoin, none of those risks exist along the way. The settlement is near instantaneous relative to gold and and anybody can use it, right? If it becomes expensive to use, then not everyone can use it from the expense perspective, but everyone can still use it. And I think that's where the scaling debates that are going on right now, debates may not even be the right word the scaling discussions right now that are talking about enabling people to share single utxos to move stuff in between and obligations in between so that there's more i think the terminology everyone's using is more economic density inside each utxo um it's it's quite interesting i think that there's a lot you know there's a lot to understand and study and figure and figure out still and evaluating these proposals but this idea of individuals owning entire multiple entire utxos and moving them around inexpensively it's still possible right now it's still only like, it's under two dollars to 
move a UT to split up a UTXO or to to join a UTXO on chain. But as Bitcoin grows, and and we've seen with the congestion recently, the price will go up to use Bitcoin. But we are like we're really really far away from ten thousand dollars a transaction. We're at we're at under two dollars a transaction, and and kind of dropping. Uh, so that's um, lots of lots of interesting things going on there. I, I think Bitcoin actually kind of scales relatively slowly, right? Um, at, it scales at the pace that it needs to scale at, which isn't tomorrow. Everybody in the world is using it. It's especially in in an on chain sense. It's just it's growing surely, steadily, slowly. More people are putting more money into it, and and figuring out how to use that money when it when they need to. Great points, great thoughts. Um, Tomer, I do want to ask your thoughts on the uh, legacy single SIG address that Fitwise is using. You're probably better equipped to offer some thoughts there. But um, I do want to make one more comment on gold. And we're talking about Peter Schiff and and uh, his whole theory that you know this money and anything we use as money needs to have a prior real world use case. And just to... Um, kind of defend Peter Schiff a little bit for a second. I, I will say that I was in that camp for quite some time. Um, I, I'm big into Austrian economics going back to like 08, 09, 2010. And this this idea that any form of money needs to have a prior real, real world utility comes from the Mises regression theorem um, that comes from his book, Theory of Money and Credit, which uh, fun fact of history was published in 1912. So just one year before we got central banking. But um, he has this idea that uh, the value of a money um, is traced back or regressed to the money as a commodity and the value it has in the real world as a commodity. So that's kind of where that comes from. And again, just to defend Peter Schiff, I, I had that view from basically 2013 to 2017, I was in the camp of like, no, you can't just like make a money out of nothing. Like it has to have the prior real world use case. And that's how it comes up with a price and, you know, expands throughout society. So it took me a long time to come around to it. Um, I'm not holding my breath for Peter Schiff to come around to it because, uh, you know, Tomer and others have alluded to, I think this has kind of become Peter Schiff's, you know, uh, shtick and it's, Kind of, he gets engagement from it, so I, I don't think he's gonna uh, switch anytime soon. But I just wanted to shout that out because that is where that comes from. One of one of I think the best economists of all time had this theory that kind of implied that uh, money can't just pop up as a ledger out of nowhere. Now, I you know I don't you know Mises didn't know about the internet and all the other things that make Bitcoin possible, so we don't really know what he would have said about Bitcoin. But I just wanted to share that point. Um, from the economic history perspective. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll comment on the thing you wanted me to, but I'll comment on what you finished off off with first. There's just like a logical fallacy um, in, in that presumption, right? Things that are used as money, whether or not they have an industrial use, a, a, utility, a utility case, they, once they become money, they trade at a much higher value than their utility case. Like we've seen this with with anything that's been a commodity that's turned to salt. So there's like a monetary premium that these things obtain, and and that crowds out 
the industrial use case for these things. When gold is not, if gold indeed has a very valuable industrial use, the world is missing out on that because so many people are just hoarding gold in vaults and safes as 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 a store of value rather than using it for its industrial use. If it doesn't have an industrial use, then you know, then then it doesn't. And it's kind of like this borderline case because. Um, it, it, being used as jewelry is really just being used as a flex of saying, "Look, I've I've got I've got gold, I've got I've got wealth, I've got I've got money." But there's nothing to say that the monetary premium has to be a hundred percent, like like twice what the industrial value is, or a hundred percent of the entire value of the commodity. Right? In the case of Bitcoin, Bitcoin is all monetary premium. There's no, there's no other industrial use case, but it still serves as money because, as I was saying before, the purpose of money is to be a reliable source of, of exchange. And when you're trying to use it over time, to be a reliable use of exchange over time, meaning that its scarcity remains steady over time. That you, that, you know, one Bitcoin today is roughly the same as one Bitcoin in terms of the share of the money in the future, not that if you've held on to it, now it's it's worth only half as much because there's twice as many Bitcoin. So the, when you actually study the fundamentals of what makes something a money, you realize it doesn't have to have an industrial use. In fact, if you use an industrial material as money, you're, you're not using it for its industrial purpose, and you're actually depriving humanity and civilization of the industrial good of that money. And as for the address type, uh, yeah, no, I'll I'll just say real quick on that, Tomer, uh, um, just to kind of reiterate what I was saying before. I think it kind of makes sense where someone like Mises was coming from when he was talking about commodity money, and all commodities in 1912 were physical commodities. The idea of a digital fixed supply commodity would have just been absurd and laughed at. So. Again, I and, and there are, I'm pretty sure there are early posts in the Bitcoin talk forums. I think one is literally titled Bitcoin does not uh, invalidate or, or does not violate Mises regression theorem. I'll have to refresh on that one. But I think that these are things that were talked about in the very early days of Bitcoin. But um, again, I, I think it's you have to remember that Mises was coming from a place where he was talking about physical commodities, not about a digital commodity, because that wouldn't even have been imaginable for him. Well, let's let anyone else jump in. Hey, I thought I would just add, I was listening to um, Tomer and about how money, um, you know, was, or jewelry was like a flex and whatnot. And I think people forget that whatever money was wearable throughout history, it never was meant to be jewelry originally. It, that was how people moved around with their money. There, there was no other way to port it. So they would put it on their neck, they would put it on their wrist, but it was under their clothes. They tried to hide their money. They tried for it to be private. It wasn't until eventually, yes, it would become a flex and the kings would do it and the heads of nations or households and whatnot. And then, you know, which is sort of how gold became jewelry like if you look in history so it, it yeah it, peter shift going down the the utility value of it being jewelry just uh doesn't sit well with me it wasn't till jacob came around that it became the flex not jacob on the call jacob the jeweler 
If you want to flex, you just change your profile picture like Dom and get ready for the fireman's calendar coming up. Or you publish your address, right? <laughs> like, just like I'm trying to bring the subject back around, but you know, if you're an ETF and you want to flex and you've actually got all this stuff, just publish your address and lo and behold, everyone can see. So, and, and it's not just people who are in the same room as you looking, wow, that's a nice necklace you got there. It's like anyone in the world anywhere can say, wow, that's a nice pile of Bitcoin you got there. <laughs> the real flex is going to come when Dom actually buys the Ferrari or the Lamborghini. Right now, he's driving to the dealership, you know, pretty much every other day. And he's, you know, as the Bitcoin price fluctuates, and I think they even have a parking spot carved out for him because he's just in and out of there so many times. But he's going to pull the trigger at some point. We're going to see the profile photo update. It's instead of a fire truck, it's going to be the Ferrari or the Lamborghini. I'm not sure which one he's leaning towards. That'll be the real Dom flex. I'm looking forward to that. There will uh, be hey, signs. I keep a, I keep an old truck. I promised when I got my truck 10, uh, 14, 13 years ago, I promised myself I would not buy a new vehicle until it drives itself. So, I mean, I don't know who's out there in the audience working in the industry. Can we please get these things self-driving by now? Like, I'm tired of driving. I just want to, you know, hang out, email Jacob and Joe Carlosari and just arrive somewhere. <laughs> it's a reasonable request. I, I don't see what the problem is. Um, so, Tomer, can you uh, give give your thoughts on the address and, and the address type, the single legacy single SIG that Bitwise is using? And then after that, um, we will probably pivot to chatting about the news with the Craig Wright lawsuits. Um, but, Tomer, I, I don't want to lose track of where we were. It's fine. You know, it, it, like people tend to use other addresses now, um, the BCH addresses that begin with BC1, as opposed to just the number one um, for the old legacy pay to public key hash. It's all very technical, but there's there's actually not any more security or less security with one of these things. They still use the same private key, you know, the same entropy of a private key. Um, and it's it's single sig as opposed to multi sig. So somewhere, you know, unless the unless the key doesn't exist in the whole in any one location, but it's it's split up using something called Shamir secret sharing. There there is a you know some process by which a, a single key can move the Bitcoin there, and that's a security question that Vanek has to answer. But Coinbase is holding on to, um, I, I think. Sorry, the Bitwise is is using because I think everyone except for Fidelity is using Coinbase. Someone correct me if I'm wrong on that. And the fact that Coinbase chooses to use this older format is in part uh, probably just their extreme comfort and and track record of using this type of this type of address. This is an address that um, it, it that is secure. You know, like. The, it, I don't want to, well, I mean, if someone who's, who's very, very strongly in favor of multi-sig wants to come and make the case to say multi-sig is much more secure, which it, in a sense it is, but single-sig is extremely secure as long as you can keep your key private. I mean, it's, nobody's going to guess a single key, let alone, you know, and certainly nobody's going to guess two out of three keys because um, nobody can guess a single key. Uh, so it's, it's fine. It's it's fun. I guess, you know, you can sign messages using this old address type from Bitcoin Core, whereas you can't with the new address type. So if 
if Bitwise wanted to sign a message saying we are in control of this address and we, we can prove we have the private key for it, here's a signature, they can they can actually do that and everyone can validate it using the core reference software. Um, but there's there's really nothing. I, I just think the, the, the important thing here is not which address they use, but the fact that they did public, that they are publicly disclosing their holdings and their address of their holdings. You know, they're reusing the address, obviously, to sum up all these things. So these are these are all practices that make sense in their context. It's just not what you would recommend for a normal person. Like a normal person should be using multiple addresses because they want to keep private how much Bitcoin they have. They don't want to put it all in one address and then you pay one person and that person says, oh my God, you got all this Bitcoin. But Bitwise wants people to see how much Bitcoin they have. So of course the address reuse in that sense uh, makes a lot of sense. That's probably too much information already. No, that, that's a good call out. And then, uh, so I just want to say something real quick, Hurley. Um, good call out that the OPSEC uh, mindset for an ETF is, you know, quite different than for a regular person. So just to um, uh, underscore what Tomer just said there. Yeah, if you're a regular person, um, you very likely do not want all of your Bitcoin in one single address. Because um, if that ever gets, you know, linked to you, then... Someone can say, okay, this is all of this person's Bitcoin. So that's actually not good for uh, OPSEC purposes. But for an ETF that is, uh, has, has very different goals in mind, um, this is what they are striving for, the transparency. So um, just something to keep in mind for everyone. Hurley? Yeah, no, I just wanted to comment quickly and, and maybe kind of uh, get homer to explain a little bit too i saw i saw a back and forth on twitter too about this this bitwise address and about someone had, had mentioned how uh it's kind of curious that they haven't sent they haven't there's there's nothing has been sent from the address so it, it, they haven't confirmed that uh that it's even working or something like that and i just i just thought it was interesting there was i think peter mccormick kind of got involved with it and he was like wait you know kind of like freaking out like wait sh- what, like, why should I be testing if certain addresses work to send Bitcoin out of and stuff like that? So I just want to know if you guys have any comments on that. Well, if you actually send from an address, you've proven that it's that, that someone in the world, you, has the private key to it so that it is it is spendable. Whereas any, you know, any any generated address that meets the checksum, you know, that is that is valid can be sent to, but it, that doesn't mean someone necessarily has the private key to it. Uh, but again, I just, I just think like, these are kind of wacky. I don't even want to call them conspiracy theories. Like this notion that Bitwise may have put lots of Bitcoin into an address that they don't have the private key to, um, that they have internally tested it just because they haven't broadcast anything on that part is, is ridiculous. No, I, I don't love it. There's a lot of things I don't love about Coinbase, but they're, they're not generating invalid addresses to which they don't have a yeah. private key for their custody business. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good point to um, underscore, Tomer. That, yeah, that no, we're not suggesting that uh, Bitwise doesn't control it. I guess the big takeaway for me is that it, it's a very important step forward. It, it is a positive step that an ETF, a spot Bitcoin ETF, can publish an address to say this is where the Bitcoin we hold is located. That that's the big positive. You know, did they do it perfectly to satisfy everyone in the Bitcoin community? I think the answer is no. There, you know, there's better ways that they can do this going forward. But 
it still does um, really highlight how unique Bitcoin is as an asset, um, how transparent it is. Um, and just a, another comment on the idea of, uh, you know, proving that you own an asset. This has come up for all types of custodians in the past. It's one level to say, here's the address that um, our Bitcoin is held in, whether it's, you know, ours or it's, it's we're holding it for clients. Um, but part of a good audit would be on some sort of periodic basis, you have to prove that you own the private key to that address. Because um, as Tomer and Hurley, you guys were alluding to, you know, it's possible that someone uh, loses access to the address. And if, if they lose the funds, they can continue showing an address that says, here are the funds, here are the funds. But if you can't access them, then obviously that's no good. So I do think the, the kind of proofs that uh, spot Bitcoin ETF managers and all custodians of all types, uh, the type of proofs and transparency that they offer will improve going forward. This is kind of, you know, day one of them doing this. So, yeah, I think there's definitely room for improvement going forward. I wonder at what point larger ETF holders might be requesting their own deposit address, sort of just to audit their own allocation. Maybe, maybe that'll never happen. I don't. I don't think that's something that an ETF can or likely should offer. You know, because you can sell your ETF units, you can move them around. If each one was backed by a different address and and required the ETF manager to like, if you if you owned one Bitcoin's worth of ETF units. Uh, you own like a couple of hundred units um, and then you sold one of them would if, if it was backed by an individual UTX so would the, the ETF manager have to move all you know spend the UTXO create one that's just a little bit smaller and you know and find out who you sold the other one to and create a new address for them that contains only $25 worth of Bitcoin so I, I, I think these things are large pools and, and they're pooled ownership remember the Bitcoin ETFs do not say you have a direct claim on any particular Bitcoin address. They're saying there's a pool of Bitcoin. You own this many shares in the fund and 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 your units are backed by Bitcoin, but you can't redeem them for Bitcoin. You can only redeem them for cash. You can ask for cash. We'll sell the, we'll sell an equivalent amount of Bitcoin to the shares, to that represented by your shares. And And I think this is kind of like a really... It's a really important consideration for people thinking about buying these things. It's like you you don't really own Bitcoin. You you have an instrument that during market hours tracks the price of Bitcoin and that you can trade it through market participants in regulated exchanges you know, with the approval of the SEC. But it's not the same as owning Bitcoin. Bitcoin owning Bitcoin like you're, is possessing it in a very physical sense sense right and you like you own you have this number that you know that is a private key that nobody else in the world knows and only you can cause the bitcoin to move and nobody else can move it and nobody can seize it from you nobody you know because move, seizing is a form of movement with the etfs you're tracking the price of this commodity during market hours and they own the bitcoin and and We've we've been through this before, and it, you know it's, it becomes a lengthy discussion about what the real difference is. But it's your it's your Bitcoin if you possess it and you can move it, and it's it's legally your shares in an ETF if you own ETFs, which is which have some some differences. 
Yeah, Terrence, it's an interesting idea. I, I think there's definitely value and merit to it. I do believe it's hard to accomplish in a vehicle that is ultimately a pooled vehicle because it's kind of combining concepts of this is a pooled vehicle where all the underlying asset is you know, fungible with everyone else's holdings. And it, it becomes difficult to a- account for movements, as Tomer mentioned. Um, but I still think there is something to that idea. I think the execution would probably be more so that a large holder of Bitcoin w- uh, would be doing that with a custodian where they have, to use uh, traditional finance terminology, a separately managed account. So that, that's kind of the lingo used in, in TradFi is, is this a pooled vehicle or is this an SMA, a separately managed account? And you know, if you have uh, $100 that you want to invest, you don't get a separately managed account. Um, that you, know, you go into a pooled vehicle. If you have uh, $100 million or $10 billion to invest, you can go to an asset manager or a custodian and say, hey, I don't want to be in a pooled vehicle. I want my own account, aka a separately managed account. And I think if someone has that, then you have you know, a much more realistic shot of the custodian saying, okay, we, your Bitcoin will be held in this address um, and we can provide that level of transparency. Um, but I think that applies to the, the SMA concept. Uh, it's, it's difficult to accomplish with the pooled vehicle uh, type structure. Yeah, it seems like we'd have to move towards in-kind redemptions or something before we even get there. But it totally makes sense what you and Tomer just said. You know, um, related, what is the risk, if any? I mean, I can't really see any because because of how it is mixed, because of how it is an ETF. But what if some identified bad actor that we knew that we identified them as bad, you know, they stole Bitcoin or whatever, and they send 10 Bitcoin, let's say, over to this ETF address at Bitwise? Like what, what risk would that present None. to the ETF? None. None, right? None. Or, None of the ETF, if it was well known, again, it came from a bad source. You know, it, it goes into its own UTXO. It doesn't get mixed in with all the other Bitcoin at that address. That's part of the beauty of the model. And so Bitwise could send, take that one UTXO, in fact, right, those dirty, tainted Bitcoins, and send it directly to the, the federal government or whoever the law enforcement authority is. And and now it's not their problem anymore. Like if you give if you give the bad coins as a gift to somebody, then then they can do with them as they as they please. And in this case, they obviously would not say, "Hey, we we we're keeping this." Uh, they would work with the authorities to uh, forward the ill-gotten currency to um, to some some enforcement agency, right? And and this is in a sense the difference between owning Bitcoin and owning. It's just another example, right? I think people, we learn so much by observing this kind of thing. Like if you have your own Bitcoin and your own addresses, you have multiple addresses because you don't reuse them, which is good practice for you. And someone sends some coins to you, you can ignore it. You can, you know, you don't have to, if nobody knows that this is your address, you can keep it, you can mix it, you can do, you can do whatever you want with it, right? Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. So you, you're tasked with the responsibility. But um, but that's the way it is. One of the things that I think is interesting here, and this goes back, John, to the article that you and I worked on that you were referencing earlier. It's like this notion of pooled ownership is 
in some ways similar to where the Bitcoin scaling discussion is headed. You know, especially when people talk about things like fediments. Fediments are pooled resources of lightning of tokens on lightning on bitcoin right it's like a three-layer solution where you can trade with people using the e-cash tokens who are in the fediment if you want to send money to somebody outside the fediment you can convert those tokens into lightning and send and send them with lightning and then of course the fediments themselves that have the on-chain bitcoin can open and close channels uh, to create and redeem more cashew tokens and it's and it's all internally audited so in the distant future, Terrence, you might see that pooling uh, pooling of ownership takes on this form that's like the the uh, fediment mo model or something similar to it, like these other new layer twos that are being proposed. And and in those things, you've got assurance, settleable assurance that you can take your coins back, even even settle into the base layer if you've got sufficient amount of, of coins. Yet it's still in a pooled instrument that you can audit and have, you know, certainty that nobody can spend your coins. Because right now, you're relying on regulators, not the laws of math and code, to protect your ETF units. When you when you use these other solutions, whether it's on-chain Bitcoin or Lightning or Fediments, you're you're relying on math, um, which which is inviolable and and contains no exceptions. So that's that's. The, that's the big thing. And that's probably the direction things will move to over a significant period of time. The technology has to mature. People have to work with it. They have to feel confident with it. The user experience needs to get better. The adoption needs to happen. But but it's headed in that direction. And so, you know, I, I predict that in 25 years, with probably quite a high degree of confidence, people won't be holding Bitcoin in ETFs. They will have, and they won't be holding it only in UTXOs. They'll be holding it in high-scale, high um, high-layer solutions that provide them the same, that provide them very high assurances of ownership, if not things that are essentially equivalent to Bitcoin's ownership without having to do everything on-chain. Yeah, so, these are such great conversations and great steps and advancements to see, you know, as game theory kicks in with the ETFs, you know, we, we know that it's going to shrink down from 11, 9, you know, whatever, 5, 4, 3, and it's like proof of reserves just started. And it's like, what's the next step? And then what's the next step? And then as people dig in, it eventually just leads everyone to where we are with self-custody, you know, own the actual Bitcoin. Um, but these baby steps are helpful. For sure, for sure. And um, I did just want to clarify this. So th this is an interesting um, topic. I've definitely seen some statements and tweets from people that the idea of, you know, let's just say an obvious bad actor, an address that has been associated with, you know, North Korea or something. If, they, if, if that address were to send 10 Bitcoin into one of these Bitcoin ETF, uh, you know, omnibus addresses, People have speculated that that would like taint the address. But Tomer, you're just saying that the the Bitcoin spot ETF would basically just say, hey, this address sent us this 10 Bitcoin. If the authorities are, you know, worried about this, we just take that UTXO and and send it somewhere else. And, and now we're no longer yeah. associated or with lock it. it and not spend it. You know, it, it, it's <laughs> it, it's exactly like if someone walked in, like you're running you're running a store and someone walked in 
and gave you, uh, maybe I shouldn't say exactly, and gave you a $100 bill that, that said right on it, uh, formerly owned by, or, you know, just recently owned by the Republic of North, People's Republic of North Korea, and they hand it to you, and you put it in, and you put it in your till because, like, they deposit into a vending machine. So you, you didn't, have, you didn't have a choice. But it's, it's, it's marked, and so you can take it out of, of the till, and you can give it to the cops and say, okay, now nothing in my till is tainted. Um, and and it was a separate bill. It wasn't like mixed in, and wasn't it wasn't like a piece of gold that got smelted in with all the other gold. It's it's its own unique UTXO, and so it, it you know when 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 like when multiple transactions get sent to the same address, they are still recorded on the blockchain as multiple transactions, each their own unique unspent transaction output. So the tainted one sits there apart from all the others, and you can lock it and not spend it. You know you can send it. You you can do whatever you want, but it certainly doesn't taint any of the other coins at the address whether it's at the address or the custodian or any anything like that it's oh, really well, let's just be prepared be prepared for elizabeth warren to come out as soon as that happens that's all how amazing well, yeah. is it that a, that an etf can publish an on-chain address and and people send um bits of of bitcoin for trolling it's just amazing the world we live in right now i love bitcoin yeah, Dom, before you joined, we were joking that uh, if we made Peter Schiff send, you know, uh, half of a gold, co- not even half of a gold coin, that would be a lot. The, the amount of Bitcoin people are sending for fun is like, you know, a few dollars worth or pennies worth. Um, you know, good luck to Peter Schiff sending that amount of gold into GLD and verifying it. I, I know you guys touched on it already before, and I didn't chime in, but but again, when you guys are talking about transparency, you know, there's many, we've all been a part of organizations or companies, a lot of them put transparency as a core value. And it's very, um, it's something that's difficult to achieve. You know, they'll, they'll have a team meeting and go, all right, you know, transparency is one of our core values. Let's implement these system controls to make sure we're as transparent as possible. And you think about a lot of the ways, you know, with transparency you involve record requests and, and issuing records, but you know, it's, it's, as John mentioned, it is vastly underestimated the value of transparency to you know uh, an array of organizations, companies, etc. I will remind everyone. This is a good point, Tom. I'll remind everyone that the G in ESG is governance, and ESG has. Uh, developed a pretty negative connotation with some people, myself included, I think deservedly so. But um, in theory, the G in governance is supposed, a, a lot of that is supposed to be transparency. Um, the, the fact that a company cannot you know, engage in fraud and have it not be discovered for years and that it's auditable and transparent. So the theory behind ESG, um, actually all, all three, I think a Bitcoiner would say, that Bitcoin is the most ESG asset out there in reality, given what we know Bitcoin can do for stabilizing energy grids, uh, for incentivizing renewable production. Um, from the social perspective, obviously the whole Bitcoin fixes this, fix the money, fix the world thing. Obviously people in Bitcoin believe that there's probably no more important thing to do for society than to, to fix the money. So I think the S is checked. 
And from a governance perspective, auditability, transparency, it checks that box as well. So, you know, it's just funny that if, if you probably ask your average TradFi person if Bitcoin is a good ESG asset, they would say no. When I think if, if you just apply a little bit of analysis, it actually checks all of the boxes very well with uh, transparency and governance being a, a very a huge one. Yeah. For the bad actor, transparency, you know, it's a vulnerability, a liability. But for the good actors in the space, it's a huge asset because how great, you know, for Bitwise or any financial organization, if they do catch bad press, maybe maybe the competition wants to make false accusations. You only have to publish something with two words, see address, and, and that's it. You don't have to dedicate any more time or effort to that. Right on, right on. So we've got a few minutes left here. And um, this is, I think this is, you know, relatively, uh, I think we can call it breaking news. The tweet came out as we were on the show here. So Peter McCormick tweeted, my lawyers have just confirmed that Craig Wright has had his final appeal denied by the Supreme Court. It is over. I won. Welcome to law. MFR. Um I cannot say that I have been following all of the details of these, you know, Craig Wright related lawsuits. And, you know, I'm sure he's in more than one lawsuit with Peter and with with others. Um, but does anyone have uh, thoughts on this that they want to share? At the very least, it, it looks like a, a positive development for Peter. He used the terms that it's over. I won. Um, so that is a, a very welcome message. He did. Peter did have a tweet a few days ago, just saying kind of, uh, he outlined how bad this did get for him at one point because Craig Wright and his legal team were basically draining Peter of his resources and his time. And, um, at one point it looked like he was going to lose the lawsuit and was potentially going to lose almost all of his assets. Um, but then, and then Peter was incredibly stressed physically and emotionally. Um, but thankfully things turned around because I believe it was proven that, Craig Wright had falsified more than one document um, and made a bunch of false claims. So that, that's kind of, you know, my understanding. Obviously, Craig Wright has a lawsuit out there against Hodlnot as well, or, or maybe that one has been completely resolved or partially resolved. Um, like I said, I, I, I've been loosely following this one, not, not saying I'm an expert on this topic at all. But do any of you guys, have you been following this? Any thoughts or opinions to share? Yeah, I mean, if it weren't for the real costs and real victims of these lawsuits, it would actually be nothing but comedy because Craig Wright has, I remember the day that Craig Wright came out and, and, and declared himself to be Satoshi. And within like half an hour, all the hardcore Bitcoiners were, well, he didn't sign, he didn't sign a message from the Genesis blog. He didn't sign a message from any suspected Satoshi address. <laughs> He's not Satoshi. It's as simple as that. In the same way as we've just said, look at how the Bitwise ETF can prove that they actually have the Bitcoin. Craig Wright could have proven he was Satoshi by moving coins or signing a message from the address where the coin sat. He never did in all that time. And and what makes it a comedy is every piece of evidence that he's provided through some level of scrutiny has demonstrated that he's an amateurish um, forger of signatures and documents and all these things and so it the it's it's also been kind of an eye-opening example of how um how slow and laborious and uninformed the judicial process is around something like this because 
if everybody knew the same thing that the hardcore Bitcoiners knew, a judge would have thrown this case out in 10 seconds. They would have said, you know what? Sign, sign the address or get the fuck out. And that would have been it. But instead, all this evidence was presented over years. and Libel suits were filed. And it was just, you know, it, it's agonizing. It's hard to imagine that it's... Um, that it's still years later, it's 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 working its way through the courts. When in the you know in the court of Bitcoin, this thing was clear and over within thirty minutes. So just once again, transparency uh, for the win here. And these old institutions that we have, we can just see how inefficient they are. Not because they're evil; they're just like the only way to try to ascertain truth in the in the case in a in a courtroom is for. Uh, learned individual but who doesn't know everything about everything to subject people to question and answer who have skilled attorneys representing them attorneys again not knowing everything there is to know about everything let alone cryptography and advanced math so it just takes an incredibly long amount of time and here and here we have this perfect example of someone making a false claim about their status on the blockchain you know in this case someone claiming to have created it and uh, and being able to provide no evidence to that fact, so it's like it's a completely hollow, empty claim. And that's... But Tilmer, he he allegedly signed a pro- a message in a private meeting with Gavin Andreessen, if I remember correctly, and that and that seems super legit. I think that was demonstrated to be false as well, and some kind of trick. And and it, it's it's kind of yucky because why would you do it in private? And what does this mean about Gavin Andreessen's? integrity you know how could he or or intelligence but the, the rest of us didn't see it and so the rest of us could say bullshit and that and that was and that was really the end of it and that's what led to a bunch of people saying bullshit of course and then craig sued the people who, who called bullshit on his bullshit and that's what's still working its way through the courts or has just completed yeah i mean this is one of the uh as we know bitcoin is a rabbit hole with hundreds of sub rabbit holes within it, whether they are, you know, disciplines that, that you can study, whether it's energy, monetary history, game theory, privacy, human rights, computer science, cryptography, etc. Um, or whether it's just, you know, kind of stories involving different players within the, the, the Bitcoin world. And this is definitely one that uh, is quite a story and probably needs to be made into some sort of documentary one day. Maybe you know, Peter and Hodlnot can can do that to kind of tell the story. I, I would certainly be interested in it because, like I said, I'm, I'm aware of of some of the goings on, but um, not the details. So, uh, but but it's good to see that there's a positive development here. We do we do owe those guys a huge amount of gratitude, Hodlnot and Peter. I mean, you know, all these guys had to do was apologize, you know, um, or or admit or you know admit they they would have to say that craig wrong was satoshi and you know i don't know many maybe others of us would have caved i mean each of these guys has separately spent millions of dollars and you know it's a lot and if anyone's been through you know the courts and been through a lawsuit it's extremely stressful um you know peter was even saying he had to go into the hospital twice you know for his mental health and whatnot but anyway yeah it's we we know he's not Satoshi. It's obviously provable. I mean, even most recently with the COPA thing, I, you know, I think as part of discovery, Craig Wrong had to turn in um, part of his computer drive, and they found on there that he was using ChatGPT for 
phrases that he said he wrote in 2007 when ChatGPT didn't even exist. So it's just comical. Yeah, that's why I say it. it is a comedy because every time they bring in experts in forgeries, they're like, uh, he's using fonts that didn't exist at the time that he made this claim. He's using programs that didn't exist at the time he made the, he made this claim. So it it just it's it's one forgery after another after another that are all getting caught. And then and then his the video footage of his testimony in court is is comical. You know, you say they ask him like, why don't you have the keys to the coins? He says, well, I got drunk one night. I drank three bottles of wine and I smashed the hard drives with my feet. <laughs> you know, okay, um, that doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't sound like a particularly responsible thing to do. If, and now you're, <laughs> and now you're blaming the programmers for having stolen something from you. It's it's a joke, right? It, it's far it's farcical, and it's kind of I, I don't know if there's people who act the people who believe him or who claim to believe him because it's hard to believe anyone actually believes him. Keep coming up with these excuses, saying, "Oh, the reason he's forging the documents is so that people will think he's not Satoshi and leave him be." But if that's the case, why come out and be Satoshi? <laughs> Claim to be Satoshi and sue people for saying that you're not Satoshi if you don't want to be known as Satoshi. There's just complete nonsense all around. <laughs> yeah. Tomer, I think you need to write this uh, screenplay, this dark comedy no, screenplay. I've watched not, that movie. I'm not giving him, I, I, unless it's actually done as a comedy, I, there'd be no way I'd involve myself with anything to do with his life. Do a, do a mockumentary. It's, you know, people will say it's too over the top. Nobody would really be so incompetent and, and so, you know, obvious in their, in their deceptions. But, but the Bitcoin goes to 11. Yeah. yeah well, this, this is Spinal Tap. This is not Satoshi uh, would be the right mayor for the movie. All right. Well, that is probably a uh, good place to end it. As usual, more than an hour flew by. So thank you, everyone, for joining. Uh, thank you to the speakers for contributing. Hope you guys found it valuable. Some of the topics that I mentioned at the onset that uh, we didn't cover today, we'll cover tomorrow, uh, which probably makes sense because tomorrow is the more macro-focused show. So we'll cover things like uh, the PTFP program and, and other things. Um, want to give a shout out to, uh, Hurley and the work he's been doing on the, uh, recap videos and also remind people to follow the Swan handle, which you can very easily find with at Swan on Twitter. Um, Hurley, do you have any info on if, and when we're going to be doing more recap videos? I know we're not, you know, married to the idea of doing them daily because we don't want to just produce it for the sake of producing it. But, um, anything you could share there? Yeah, we're, we're, we took a day off yesterday because uh, Dante had some other things, but we're doing a, a brand new uh, Bitcoin ETF recap uh, video tonight. Uh, and uh, we're planning one tomorrow as well. And then I think at some point we're going to move to a once, because Dante's, you know, people love Dante's updates. So I think we'll, we'll keep to a once a week uh, Dante update at some point. But for the foreseeable future, we're still doing them daily. So follow the Swan Bitcoin YouTube channel for, uh, for those videos. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. So follow Swan on, on YouTube and um, on Twitter or X. I, I will still call it Twitter for quite some time. It's at Swan. So you can find that content and much more there. And we will leave it there. Thanks everyone for joining. We will be back tomorrow for Swan Private Macro Friday. Sam will be your host. Um, I will very likely be on as well. 
um, as addition to some of the usual cast of characters. Uh, Dom, do you have something you want to leave us with? Hey, Har. Good job today, buddy, as always. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. Um, all right. Well, everyone, we'll leave it there. We're past the hour. Thanks for joining. Hope you found it valuable. And we will see you guys tomorrow.